planted all these trees, we planted all these shrubs, and in my mind, as a six, seven, eight-year-old, I don't remember how, exactly how old I was, it was like this large, spacious garden of Eden. And we went over to visit her one time, and uh, I wanted to run out into the backyard and play, and run around all the bushes and just play in this backyard. And my grandmother, she told me, she said, go ahead, you can go in the backyard and play, just don't break any limbs off of my bushes and trees. And so I thought about that for a minute. That's the only rule that I had. The only rule that I had. Free reign in this Garden of Eden-like backyard, beautiful, plush. Only had one rule, and that was, not, was not, to, not to break limbs. And I don't know why, but I just couldn't stop myself. I knew that I was going to get in trouble. I knew, the, I knew what the rule was. I knew that I shouldn't do it. And I knew that she was probably going to take one of these branches that I had pulled off of the tree and strip it down real good and apply a little corporal punishment, which I'm sure that she did. But there was something about that rule that I just, I, I, just, I, could, I couldn't help but break it. You've probably done the same thing. Somebody told you not to do something, you did it anyway. Uh, there was something that you knew that you should do, and you refused. It seems like as human beings, we're just professional rule breakers. I mean, just look at crime rates in America, and we can see just uh, the national average of homicides or sexual assault or child abuse and all of these horrible things. Uh, things aren't getting any better. We make more rules, but it's like as human beings, we continue to come up with ways to break them. Uh, consider your own life. Uh, you can probably consider your own shortcomings, and you consider your own flaws. And it's almost as if you, if you thought hard enough, you could think about maybe just one or two areas of your life that when put in the right situation, you just can't help but break the rules, or you just can't help, um, uh, you just can't accomplish that which you are supposed to do. Uh, well, we get it honest uh, from our first parents, Adam and Eve. We're going to read about them tonight, because uh, this morning, because as we look around at the world and we see all of the brokenness that is the result of sin, all of the human beings doing things that they shouldn't, we must understand that even though it's common, it's not normal. It's, it's not normal for us to want to break the rules. It's not, it's not normal for us as human beings to constantly do things that are wrong. Just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. God did not create us that way. God never intended for all of the brokenness in the world to be here. Um, so we ask what the cause is. The cause, and it's the title of my message today, uh, is the fall. That's a phrase that we use to describe that very first sin, that very first temptation that happened with the very first people on earth and how it spread out through all mankind and all of us, uh, all of us end up perpetuating that. So today what we're going to look at as we look at this passage, as we look at the fall, we're going to consider temptation, how it happens, how we overcome it. And uh, so I want to uh, ask you to stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 uh, through verses 13. And you're probably familiar with this story. Uh, you probably read it before, uh, but I want you to pay attention to some, of the, to some of the details that we see in this passage. 
verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, No, we can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say, Don't eat of the fruit of the tree that it's in the middle of the garden. Don't touch it, or lest you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, it was, it was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and she ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were opened. They knew that they were naked. They, they, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, Oh, that woman, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, Oh, that, that serpent deceived me and I ate. God, I pray that you would teach us as your people today. Show us, Lord, how we can live the life that you have called us to live. And God, how we can deal with this sinful nature that we have. And this crafty enemy that's around us. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Anybody ever fell, like physically fell, like stumbled? I remember one time uh, I stumbled going down, yes, down the steps in church. Uh, and we got it on video. I, I, you can probably remember a time that, uh, that you have you've, you've fallen. I, I remember one such a time when my wife Kelly fell. Uh, we were hiking in the woods. And uh, we were about to go across this little creek, and it had a little, it, it had a little, a little bit of a slope that kind of came down, and then you had to jump a pretty good distance to kind of get over the creek, and then it sloped back up, and it was pretty slick. It was, uh, it was pretty slick. It was, it was pretty muddy. Well, of, of course, you know, I went first, you know, as the man, the good husband, you know, testing the waters, putting myself in danger and in peril first. Uh, I jumped across the ditch, and it was a pretty good jump. And I thought, Kelly's not going to be able to make this. And so, uh, being the good and caring husband I was, I told her, I said, hold on, wait just a minute. And I took out my phone, and I hit record on video. And so when she jumped, and she made this little, ah, whatever, she slipped. And sure enough, she slipped, and she fell forward, and she hit the mud. And I got it on video. Well, we have an agreement. Like there, well, excuse me, uh, she has a rule, all right? 
that I absolutely cannot put pictures of her or videos of her on social media. Like, cannot do it. It has been well-established, well-documented from day one in our relationship. And I knew that, but I just could not help myself. I said, you know what? Uh, there's going to be penalty for this, but it's too funny. And so I posted it, uh, I posted it on social media, and sure enough, uh, just like uh, in my grandmother's yard whenever I was seven years old, um, as, uh, as, as a newly married man, uh, I, paid, uh, I paid the price uh, for that. Uh, but it was almost as if it was, it was, it was almost kind of worth it because it's pretty funny. It comes up every year on my social media and I share it and then Kelly shares a funny one for me as well and it's like a little war. So just like a physical fall, we all spiritually fall. Every single one of us. Just how you have tripped and fallen physically before. I mean, all of us, just a matter of time before it happens. The same is true about spiritually falling. Just like Adam and Eve. There is a uniform spiritual characteristic that is true about every single human being that has ever lived. We fall into sin. We fail God. We either do something that God says not to do, or we fail to live up to something that God says that we should do. And our falls, our failings, our flaws can be traced back all the way to this original sin, this original fall that happened with Adam and Eve. And so why did it happen how can we keep it from uh, repeating in our lives? How can we overcome it? The first thing that we have to do is we have to recognize that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Satan is real. Our enemy is real. He was there at the beginning of time. He was there with the very first people. He was present at the very first sin. He facilitated and uh, uh, the very first temptation. And he wants to see it perpetuated in your life over and over and over again. Because he hates you. He wants you to be in torment. He wants you to fail. He wants your flaws to flourish just like the flowers in the field at springtime. He hates you, and he has trickery up his sleeve. He has an arsenal of lies that he uses against you. And that is basically the only thing that he can do to you. The only power that Satan has is the ability to lie. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, there's not much power in that. Oh, make no mistake. He is smarter than you. He knows, he probably knows more about you than you do. He knows more about this world and how it operates and how it works than you do. He probably, just from, just from a knowledge standpoint, knows the Bible and maybe even God better than you do from a knowledge standpoint. Don't you think for a second 
that he doesn't know how to lie to you in the most crafty way possible. And his goal is to lie to you in such a way that you will question God's word, question God's path, question what God has said to do and not to do so that you will choose an alternative that he will give to you or just any alternative that you might can think up and dream up on your own out of your flesh. He wants you to do anything except for what God tells you to do. And so this is what he did to Eve. He, 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 was, he was able to get Eve to question what God had said. And look at, look at the contrast in this passage. In this passage, we see what God said, and we see what the serpent said. Those are really the two conflicting voices that have entered into the heart and into the mind and into the ears of Eve as she is experiencing this temptation. There is what God has said, what she clearly heard, and what she clearly knows, and there is what the serpent is saying to her, and really what the serpent is saying to her about God, and what the serpent is saying to her about what God has said. The best shot you have at living a life of peace and tranquility and fulfillment is to do what God tells you to do. That's the best shot you have. You don't have to be smart, rich. The best shot that you have is to read and listen and hear what God has said to do. The giver of life has told you what's necessary in order to live a good, abundant, perfect, wonderful life. He's told you in his word. And all you have to do is listen to him. All you have to do is do what he tells you to do. And temptation is simply the enemy's way of trying to get you to believe that you don't really need that, that there's something else or something more or something different. Satan wants to get you to disbelieve and to discard what God has said. He wants to twist it in your mind. He wants you to ignore it altogether. And he would love to get you just to blatantly disobey it. But here's what you need to understand. We believe that what God has said is infallible. What we mean by that is that if you do what God tells you to do, it will never lead you down a wrong path. It will never lead you astray. It will never lead you to do something that ultimately is not the best for you, for the people around you, and for the world. We believe that what God has said is 100% infallible. Satan's words, on the other hand, are poisonous venom. They are poisonous venom, and if you want your life to go sideways... Just ignore what God has said and choose an alternate path. And you might say, well, how does that happen? I mean, how, how is it that people can't just clearly see what is good? Well, that's actually what the serpent did in the heart of Eve. He gave her lies about what was good. He gave her lies about what was good. Look at these, look at these words and look at how... 
Look at how the, how the serpent, how he, he twists God's words. He, had, he gets her to question God's intention. And he gets her to question the result of what God said would happen. You know, there's, you know there's a difference between a question and questioning. There's, there's, a, there's a big difference between those two. There's a difference in saying, I don't completely understand what God is saying here, but let me learn and discover so that I can know him better. There's a difference between questions and questioning, saying, yeah, I'm not so really sure God's as good as he said he was. Yeah, I'm not so sure if I believe that what is going to happen is actually going to happen, uh, or what God said is going to happen is actually going to happen. I'm just not so sure I totally believe that or totally embrace that. Um, and that's what Satan got, uh, got uh, uh, Eve to do. Okay, so uh, what he told her um, he said, you're not going to die. That was a blatant lie. He told Eve, when she said, and notice that she quoted God's words. She quoted to Satan. Satan came to her and said, hey, uh, did God say you can't eat of fruits of the tree in the garden? Well, Satan knew that that wasn't true. And she corrected him. She said, no, God said we could eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. God said we could eat of a particular fruit um, from a tree in the garden. And God said if we do, that we're going to die. So notice God said what they could do, God said what they couldn't do, and God stated the penalty that would happen if they violated. Satan said, he went straight to the penalty. He goes, Satan was like, you're, you're not going to die. You, really? You're, you're not going to, I mean, you're not going to die. And Satan said, let me tell you something, God, God's holding out on you. God knows, he knows that when you eat of that fruit, you're going you're gonna to be like God. You're going you're gonna to know good and evil. That was not a good thing. Listen, knowing good and evil is not a good thing. That was a bad thing. But Satan lied to her. Actually, actually, the truth is, he didn't lie to her. He told her, he said, you're going to know good and evil. That's true. We read it in the text. They did, their eyes were opened, and they knew good and evil. But it turned out bad. Satan made it sound like it was good. And that's what he does. He lies about what is good. You see, her whole view changed when she saw that it looked good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that it was desired to make one wise, then everything changed. It changed. He list, she listened to the serpent, and she began to see things differently. She began to understand God differently. She began to desire things differently. Her goals were different. She saw everything differently because she listened to Satan. She redefined what was good and delightful. And by, by the way, that's what John in 1 John, y'all remember I preached on 1 John last year, uh, that's what John calls the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life. Or we just call it the lust of the flesh, the lust of, uh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This is what the, the serpent did when he tried to show her, redefine for her what was good and delightful and desired. You see, temptation, temptation happens on the inside. 
It, happen, it happens on the inside. It happens when we allow sinful impulses, what we redefine as good and desirable and delightful. And for all of us, that's different. There's no uniform, one single temptation. For all of us, it's different. But it's when we allow those, those sinful impulses to steer our hearts rather than what God's Word says. We need to love God's Word. We need to love Scripture. We need to love Jesus so much that we just, we, just, we cherish what He has to say. The Bible says that He will keep in perfect peace Him whose mind is stayed upon you because He trusts in you. The Bible says, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. How does a young man keep his way pure? By, by living and according to your word. The Bible says that the word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. The Bible says that we hide his words in our heart. That we might not sin against God. We do what God says. We cherish his words. We listen to him. And we trust Him. The world gives us all of these alternatives to what God has said. We have to cherish the goodness and the delight. Uh, 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 and, and by desiring what God has said is good. And not by all of these redefinitions. God has given, in any situation, God has given us clearly what is good. In the world, you will find multi, you will find a buffet of alternatives to everything that God has said. And if Eve would have just called out to the Lord in clarity, when she was experiencing this temptation, when Satan came to her and all of that, be, I mean, began to stir up inside of her, if she, if she would have just said, stop, the Lord's going to come walk with us in the coolness of the day, and I'm going to ask him, get away. And then when the Lord came, she, she could have said, God, this, this serpent, he just, he, he's saying these things and it's confusing to me. And what do you think a loving Heavenly Father would have done? He would have given her clarity. He would have given her direction. He would have given her his word. Even though she knew God's word, she could quote it verbatim. She could quote what God's command was verbatim, very specifically. But her heart began to want something else. And then we see the first sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. She took some. She ate it. She gave it to her husband. So understated in Scripture, isn't it? The very first sin. There it is right there. She took some. She ate it. She gave it to her husband. You know, sin is so easy. So easy. Man, you can just... Any sin, it's so easy just to tell that lie. So easy just to steal that thing. It's so, so easy to, it's just so easy. Sin is just so incredibly simple. Once you get past all that struggle and all that difficulty, and if you're a Christian, you should struggle. If you're a non-believer, you don't care what God says. You don't struggle. You just, you just live your life. If, if you want to live against God's word, just do whatever comes natural. Just follow your heart. Do whatever feels right, and you will naturally not follow God's word. 
But if you're a Christian, you're going to wrestle and you're going to struggle and you're going to deal with what God has said because you've read the Bible and you know what it says. And there's this alternate thing that looks so desirable and so good and so easy. And you're 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 going to struggle with that on the inside. But then when when it comes to the actual stepping into the sin and doing it, incredibly simple. So easy. And she just flew across that line. And I'm going to have to say this till next week. But what was Adam thinking? That joker was standing there watching this whole thing happen, didn't say a single word. What was he doing? Oh, I didn't know. Hey, Eve, you think we ought to name this animal a different name? Oh, what? I mean, the Bible didn't tell us what he was doing, but we know what he should have been doing. He, he should have been intervening. And being like, hold on a minute, um, Eve, like you, I know exactly what God said in this serpent. I don't know what's going on here, but this is not right. He should have defended his wife, but instead uh, he was passive. More on that next week, by the way, uh, whenever we talk about marriage. Um, but what we see happened as a result of this, all that temptation, doubting God's word, redefining what is good, committing a sin, and the thing that happened after that is something that happens every single time you sin. Every single time you sin, there is brokenness. You either create brokenness, you either bring brokenness upon yourself, or at the very least, you break the heart of God. You know, some people think that they can just sin on their own, and it doesn't, uh, uh, it, 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 it doesn't really matter, it doesn't hurt anybody. But sin brings about brokenness every single time. Look what happened. All they did, all they did was take a taste of fruit off of a tree that they shouldn't. I know what you're thinking. I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, it's just a just a taste of fruit. I mean, what's the what's the big deal? I mean, who who did who did they really hurt by by eating of this of this of this fruit? I mean, it's it's not a big deal. I find that people people think that about their sin. People think that about their sin and their temptations, especially the more that they do them. The, the more that they embrace their sin, the alternate paths to what God has said, the more comfortable that we just become of them. Oh, it's not a big deal. And then before long, they're saying, well, um, I mean, this is okay with God. It's okay with me. It's okay with God. And if you don't think it's okay with God, then you're not good. The whole thing gets reversed. But brokenness always happens. First, there was a loss of innocence. That which happened that Satan said would happen, he said, your eyes are going to be open, you're going to know good and evil. That happened, but it wasn't good. There was a loss of innocence. This is probably the first truly sad thing that we see in the Bible. It says that their eyes were opened. They knew good and evil. You ever seen things you wish you could unsee? You ever done things, experienced things that you would say, man, I wish I had no knowledge of that. I wish I would have never seen that or been a part of that or heard that or experienced that. That's what they were feeling in this moment. They were feeling shock, of course, and, and just, just couldn't, and probably were like, oh my, how, how did this, I thought this was going to be good, and it wasn't. There was a complete loss of innocence, and there was shame. Shame is always part of brokenness. They sewed fig leaves together. You're always going to feel shame over your sin unless you're 
unless your conscience is just so, so seared that you've just got, kind of gotten used to your sin. Or if you don't know Jesus, you're not going to feel any shame or guilt at all. You're just, you're just, you're just going to do it and it doesn't matter. Withdrawal, this is the worst part. They hid themselves from God. And we've been doing that ever since. Running from God, fleeing from Him, broken fellowship, fear. First time it's mentioned in the Bible. Adam said, I was afraid. Afraid of God? Afraid of a good God who had made all these wonderful things and put him in a, in a garden? He was afraid of God. And then blame, blame shifting went, started going on. Does this happen in y'all's house? This happens in my house all the time. There's someone living in, there's someone living in my, I haven't seen this person. There's someone living in my house named Not Me. I don't know if he's been to your house or not, but Not Me does all types of things. And I'll ask my kids, like, they'll be, they'll, they'll be mud on the floor. And I'm like, who tracked in mud? Not me. Who got the kitchen dirty? Not me. He gets blamed for all types of things. I'm going to find that kid one day and administer some corporal punishment. Well, that, that's what happened. They just blame shifted. God, I, this woman, I, I don't know. You, this, I didn't do it. That always accompanies brokenness. All this just for a piece of fruit. And again, you might say, what's the big deal? It was just a taste of food. It didn't hurt anybody. I mean, couldn't God just say, okay, shh, no big deal. I mean, just no problem. I mean, couldn't God just kind of brush it? Could, couldn't God just forgive and forget? Oh, wouldn't it be great if it was that easy? But look what happened three chapters later. Three chapters later in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 7, wickedness all over the earth. All over the earth because of what Adam and Eve had done. We see this even in our day, don't we? We see wickedness all over the earth. We see sin all over the earth. We see it all over our lives. It had spread everywhere and all of the intentions and thoughts of their heart evil continually like it never stopped it just perpetuated and more babies were born and then they were infected and those babies had babies and then they were infected with sin and like a disease it has spread to all of them and to all of us and the bible says the lord regretted that he had made man that he was grieved in his heart and it all is traced back to this one little bite of food and this story of Adam and Eve's temptation, it plays out in you, it plays out in me. We perpetuate the cycle, and it just goes over and over and over again. You've gotten that for forbidden fruit, you've believed the lie, and Satan doesn't even have to be incarnate to make you sin. All you have to do is just follow your sinful nature, just, just follow what comes natural, just do whatever feels good, just follow your heart, and you will automatically, naturally, Satan doesn't even have to be present. You just kind of go your own way against God. But there was one person that lived, one person that lived, that went toe-to-toe -to -toe with that ancient serpent. One person that lived that went head-to-head -head with Satan, and he won. And his name was Jesus. And it's recorded in the New Testament. Jesus' temptation. Jesus uh, was tempted by Satan almost in an identical fashion 
the way that Eve was, except Jesus won. He did something that you and I could never do. He overcame temptation, not just once, but every single time it happened, Jesus always did what was right, and ultimately he defeated Satan. He smashed the head of the serpent, just like God said Eve's offspring would in uh, in, in Genesis chapter 3. He said, your offering offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus smashed the head of the serpent whenever he died on the cross for our sins, gaining victory for all of us so that you and I could live a life of righteousness and peace just like the giver of life wants us to. And one day God's going to correct it all. All this brokenness, all, all, of the, all of the things that we've seen that has been a result of their sin and a result of our sin as we perpetuate it, one day God, one day Jesus is coming back And one day God's going to say, no more. No more brokenness. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Again, I don't have time to really delve into these verses. But the Bible says that God's going to walk with us in the cool of the day again. Except in Revelation it says that he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. We're going to be able to walk face to face with God once again, just like God originally designed us in the garden. We're going to be with him. We're going to be present. And the Bible even says that there's, there's that tree uh, of life that's in the midst of the garden, and we're going to be able to take its fruit, and we're going to be able to eat freely. The Bible says that there's going to wipe away every tear, that there are going to be some things that are going to be no more that there's not going to be any crying, there's, not, there's going to be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. And the former things are going to pass away. They're all going to be gone. There's not going to be anything accursed. The Bible says the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their forehead. If you have hope, in anything else except for this, you have a misplaced hope. If you have a hope in anything, in anything in this life that you think will somehow bring you the most joy and abundance and peace, if you have hope in anything except for that, your joy is misplaced and you're looking in the wrong places. And Jesus is the only way to God. He is the only path to being in this eternity that is described in the book of Revelation. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to think and pray about the temptations that you face. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to come to the altar, you can do that. Even while we're singing, Andy's going to sing in just a moment. We're going to stand. If you want to come to the altar and pray, you can pray. I want you to think about the temptations and the sins that are in your life. And I want you to ask the Lord to deliver you. I want you to look to Jesus, and I want you to ask Jesus to save you. And you may say, well, I'm already saved. You know, crying out to Jesus to save me is something that I do all the time. Because as I'm walking this life and seeking to be sanctified, I need Jesus to keep on saving me. I don't need to be justified again. I don't don't need to be born again another time. 
But I need Jesus there with me all the time. I want you to ask Jesus to give you what he promised in Scripture. The Bible says he promises a way of escape. He promises that no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but along with it will allow a channel of escape so that you can bear up under it. I want you to pray about those temptations and those struggles and those things that you're facing right now. I want you to pray about them. Ask Jesus to help you and to save you. Perhaps you have never been born again. And you don't know Jesus as Savior. You don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And maybe God's talking to you right now. Here's the way that you recognize it. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, sometimes it's like a weight of guilt that you feel that's like pressing in on you. The Bible calls that godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And when that happens in your life, when you sense the Holy Spirit pressing down upon you and that feeling of guilt, that is the Holy Spirit asking you to repent. That is the Holy Spirit asking you to confess your sins. You, you, you may have a sense of, 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 um, um, of conviction right now. Just pray for, pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon you and pray as the Holy Spirit does come upon you. Pray that God would help you to repent and call on the name of Jesus and be saved. You spend a few moments in prayer, and we're going to stand and sing. And any time that we're praying, any time that we're singing, if you want to come to the altar and pray, please feel free to do that.